Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. This is episode 104, and my name is Tom Baker. I have the privilege of being able to host this show that talks about the most exciting short track division in all the land, Supermodifieds. And uh, I'm glad to have you all with us. Um, really looking forward to uh, this show as we've got uh, Camden Proud going to join us in a minute. We are going to wrap up and recap and break down last week's Oswego Speedway racing. And again, some more amazing racing at the track. Happy to dig into all that with Camden. And we'll conclude, of course, the Port City uh, portion that we've been going through the last few weeks, the 1976 Port City. We uh, will have our final uh, thoughts on that as well, because, of course, we, we're into June and we haven't run the super modified portion yet. It's crazy. It was a crazy time. Um, thought I would throw something out. Uh, I was reading through the 1975 classic book uh, before I recorded this this morning, and um, I was looking at the schedule of events for that weekend and it's it's really kind of funny to look back and and see kind of how things were done back then. Friday night you had your practice, um, and then Saturday all it was was time trials. So after like two thirty or three o'clock, it was done. And I got thinking to myself, how cool must that have been to be a camper back then, in that period of time? Because you know part of what you look for when you have a camper, you look for opportunities to go. And obviously use the camper, go somewhere and set up camp and just kind of chill out and, and, and relax. And, um, it seemed like, uh, back then, uh, if you're done with time trials at three o'clock, I mean, they had the speedway restaurant. So maybe you went and had a, a dinner there or you, maybe you, uh, you know, cooked out at the camper or even went to one of the other restaurants in town or whatever, but you had, you had the entire rest of the day and evening to just, uh, kick back and, um, bench race, as we say, that must've been uh, really cool. And then of course, uh, Sunday, nothing really got started until, you know, later in the day, the classic was a night race back then, which I do remember that I do. I personally prefer the day races. I think it makes it more interesting. And I also like the fact that after the race, you have more time to hang out and socialize. Um, but uh, it was just a very different schedule. We didn't have the modified 200 on the schedule back then. That didn't happen until the following year, 1976. So I just thought that was funny. Also, I noticed I was looking at the menu for the Speedway restaurant and like the, the biggest steak on the menu was like five bucks. <laughs> I mean, I understand everything was less back then and, and the dollar was, you know, the value of the dollar is different salaries were lower, all that. But it's just funny to look back and see that you could get a good breakfast at, at Speedway restaurant for like a buck 95. You know, it's just crazy stuff. Um, 
so that was kind of fun. Okay, so uh, we're going to kind of take this show a little bit easier. We we really went over time last week. Uh, I think we did our, our equivalent of the Coke 600 uh, with episode 103. This is episode 104, so we're going to be reviewing the number 04, which I love this because I get to talk about one of my favorite cars ever at the track, the Salve Automotive 04 and some others as well. Um, thank you, Larry Trinka, for pointing out that I missed Jack Stevens in the 03, which was, I think, uh, the former Rizzo car. And um, I also miss Buddy Deal, whose last ride at Oswego was the former Bali Show Car 5, and that was 03 as well. So good catch, Larry. Okay, back with Camden Proud as we get Inside Groove started right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode 104. Camden Proud has joined us now. Camden coming off a really big heat race win on Saturday night. That was fun to watch, Cam. Congratulations on that run and a great run in the feature. Didn't end necessarily the way that you might have wanted it to, but you definitely made a lot of progress, and that was fun to see. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to start with the big picture here. Um, again, uh, some great racing Saturday night. We'll start with the big block supers, um, and then work our way through. Um, is this the moment Camden in your mind? Is this the moment where we kind of look at what we saw from Dave Schillick the other night and Dave Schillick the week before and go, yep, this is what we thought may happen all year long. Dave Schillick just sort of gets the lead and kind of drives away. Are we ready to kind of anoint Dave as the guy to beat at the speedway? Or do we feel like there are still some cars like maybe a Jeff Abold who are capable of running with him? I think I'm ready to say he's just the guy to beat at this point. Uh, He was in a league of his own Saturday night and I had nothing for him. Jeffrey said he had nothing for him. And I think that, once again, they're just firing on all cylinders now. They've got the car figured out. They've got the bugs worked out of it. They got through their early season bad luck and crashes, and now he started 10th, and it took him less than 10 laps to get in the top five and caught up to me and, and blew by us like we were sitting still yeah. and, and had a, a half-track lead at that point before the yellow came out with, with 10 to go. So he, he's the dominant car right now, and, and everybody should be – going back home to the shop and trying to figure out a way to beat the 95 car 
Yeah, it just it's interesting because he showed up with two cars. What is the other booth car that was there that uh, Brian Osetic drove? That's the former Keith Champagne car. That oh, it going is. Test with a wing. Okay. On Friday, so that's the car that Dave will be running in the wing show. Okay, I didn't think they had a third car, but I wondered about that because I was surprised they would have brought it out without the wing. I guess maybe just to get some track time with it and sort it out, but um, I wasn't sure if that was the old fifty-five or not. So we got that sorted. Um, and but but it, it's it's just like the last couple of weeks. You know, we thought we thought going in. I mean, I said before the season started, I thought there was a chance that he he'd just sweep the all of the non uh the 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 you know Oswego wing races um and uh you know I really felt that pretty strongly and then he he had some bad luck right away on opening day and it just seemed like it took him a few weeks to kind of get things sorted but boy I mean he he just makes it look so easy uh and you know it isn't as though you weren't running well it isn't as though jeff abel wasn't running well right. he was just that much better i mean you were what low 16s i think for a good part of that first uh 20 or 25 laps that you led in that race weren't you yeah we were he was just even lower 16. yeah <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's like... just it's difficult to to watch i mean we're trying to learn this new car obviously but from my point of view we're out running 16 fours and fives on 100 lap tires and he's on 100 lap tires running 16 ones and it's just i i called didero after time trials on saturday and i said doug what what is it going to take what what do we have to do to catch everybody else up to to the 95 including ourselves and that's just the the million well it's the ten thousand dollar question yeah, yeah, come now, right week. you know it's, <laughs> yeah. we're just all trying to figure it out and and they just they've just got it figured out. They, they have the right setup in that car. They yeah. really hit on something the last two seasons. Uh, Chris Osetic is a genius with this stuff. Dave Schulich, the way he can get out of that car and, and describe and relay information and also his knowledge of the car and the way it's set up itself. Him and Chris work so well together and they're just, they're just a team to beat plain and simple right now. Yeah. It really, it, you know, I mean, watching it on flow, you know, I watched him close the gap and, you know, I mean, I tend to watch the races almost like a coach, you know, in a way, just sort of like, what are these guys doing and how are they doing it? And and I watched him catch you. And the first thing I'm thinking about is, well, okay, if Dave gets by him, this will be a great chance for Cam to sort of see, you know, where's he getting on? Where's he getting off and kind of watch and, and see what, right? So he goes by you. And then it was like, I'm going, well, Maybe not because like he went by you and was gone before you. Hit. Right. It was right. just unbelievable to, to see how good that race car is right now. So uh, Dave did a good job and you're right. Dave is, Dave is definitely a wheel man and he understands the, the technical side of it. And that's a huge advantage when you can get out and, and really get into the nuts and bolts of not just tight, loose or whatever, but, you know, describe exactly what's going on and, you know, and probably actually tell Chris and the team um, what he thinks should be done to, you know, to make it better. That's, Absolutely. that's the kind of feedback you need to have. And, and uh, boy, he, he's going to be tough to stop the rest of the year. I can tell you that for sure, but we've got, um, you know, this week we'll, we'll get to, to, to more, but you got Mike Barnes, you know, you got some other guys coming back, you know, so we'll see how it works out, but uh, certainly 
um, another new track record and, um, you know, in a big dominating feature win, um, you know, that was really impressive. Uh, again, you had a great run. I I'm curious from the driver's seat. I mean, what is it like to get out and actually lead a feature like that when it's something that you're not used to doing? I mean, what are you thinking about or are you even, I mean, I I would think maybe you're just focused on running laps, but it's gotta be, that had to be a pretty incredible thing for you to just keep, you know, keep looking up at the board and seeing yourself in front like that. It was, it was pretty cool. And those are actually the first laps I've ever led in a super modified feature. So I've led a lot in the SBS, but Started on the front row one other time my rookie year, and and I think we're running fourth for a while, but just didn't really have a good enough car to run at the front. But that was that was really neat. I didn't think about it. My my focus was just getting the jump on the start, and then lap one I came around, and and that was cool just to to see the number up there for for one lap, and said okay, I led my lap, and kind of just dug in and 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 focused on running as hard as I could every single lap. And, when Schulich started to catch me, the, the car was already going away a little bit, and I saw the 95 coming up on the board, and, and I knew he was going to get us, and, and my hope was exactly what you said, to kind of hang with him, and, and that didn't pan out, and, and he just, <laughs> just was trying to, to hold on towards the end. I thought the first half of the race, we had a good enough car to keep Abel behind us, but it just went away more and more, and we, we should have closed up the stagger. We know what we have to do to, to come in with better stagger for, for this week, and and just make those adjustments, build our notebook, and, and keep learning this car. But I knew we were there Saturday, and I'm I'm glad that we're making progress. Things are going in the right direction. Well, it's it's great to hear. You know, Randy and 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 Roy were talking a lot about you, and and you know, Randy especially just <clears throat> you know I think really impressed with how you've you've come on just in the last couple of weeks, and um, I think we all knew that would happen, and and I kind of. I mean, you're sort of um, the the case study, but I kind of relate that in general when when you're a newer driver and you kind of start having those moments where you take that step from being, you know, a rookie who's learning or a second year driver who's, you know, maybe not got the best equipment when you get a car like you've got now that you know you can win and you start watching the driver figure it out and figure out that he actually can win. I always, that's one of the greatest things about our sport and it doesn't matter what division, just seeing that driver take that next step in his own confidence level. Um, And I think I felt like on Saturday, that's what we watched with you. It was really cool to see. Um, and I know that you guys work awfully hard, uh, you know, to, to, to make that happen. So you got a big one coming up this week, uh, 10,000 to win. I mean, um, obviously I think we know who the favorite is, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, with all due respect to everybody else, I mean, uh, you know, I believe what I see until somebody goes out and proves me wrong, but, um, it, it, it feels like you're, you're, you're morphing from, uh, somebody who wants to finish every race to somebody who really sees that, you know what, victory lane is a distinct possibility. I do. I really feel that way. And again, it's, it's difficult when you're, you're kind of feeling like you're competing for, for second place. But I, I do feel as though at this point that he's the only one that can kind of come up through the pack like that and, and just blow everybody into the weeds at this point. So <laughs> Uh, everybody else has to has to do their work and, and catch up, but 
as far as my level of confidence, it's it's certainly up. And we've had some some really good first halves of our of our nights the last few weeks, and gotten faster every week down to 16-2 Saturday. Got the heat win, but we just really have to put a complete night together. And and when we do that, that's uh, we we obviously had had some some bad luck Saturday, and and can't blame ourselves for that. But we also need to work on our feature setup too. And and that's on us. And had we had a better race car, we wouldn't have to worry about whoever was behind me. So we just need to keep working on setup and focusing on us. And I think if we, we do that and stay motivated, determined and focused that we're going to be in the top five and maybe even on the podium before the year's over. Well, um, I, I certainly think a podium is, is well within your grasp. And I think a win is also within your grasp uh, for sure. So uh, go ahead and uh, hit the rundown for last week's feature event. And then I want to kind of talk about one other super modified moment from Saturday that um, was not probably something that the driver wished that uh, we we would have to talk about on this show. But uh, go ahead and give us the rundown. Sure. First was the 95 Dave Schulich. Second was the 52 day, or no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Second was the 05 Jeff Abel. There we Third go. was the 90 Jack Patrick. Fourth was the 52 Dave Danzer. Fifth was the double zero Joe Gozik. Sixth, the 94 Logan Ravels. Seventh, the 02 Brandon Ballinger. Eighth, the 37 Ryan Locke. And he finished a feature finally. Yes. I'm finally luck turning around for them when they were fast. Boy, he deserves so it. That was very yes. good. Uh, ninth, the zero Tim Snyder. Tenth, the 01 Dan Connors. 11th, the 98, Tyler Thompson. 12th was myself. 13th, the 83, Lula Bay Jr. And 14th, the 5, Brian Osetic. Okay, so um, uh, for a minute, I thought you were breaking news there. I, I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, what happened to Abe Old and Patrick? Did they get DQ'd and nobody knew about it? Uh, okay, so... No, just um, reading the wrong race. Yeah, itself. I was going to say, I, uh, uh, Dave was about to go, wow, Cam, you're cool. Um, okay, <laughs> so... Um, I I want to talk, man. Um, Nathan Bird, holy cow! I mean th- that crash. To see the in-car footage of that, I mean, you're a driver, so y- you can bring some sort of perspective to this. I mean, y- 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 when you have a car that breaks going down the straightaway like that one did, you can see the right front just like it was almost like it shimmied a little bit, and then he was straight into the wall. Um, I mean, that has to be, and I hope you never experienced that, but that had to be just painful to watch. It was, I saw it happen and it was a vicious impact. I was pretty concerned initially when I saw it and wasn't sure what happened, if it was a stuck throttle or something just broke. And I don't think Nathan was even sure. I talked to him right afterwards and he wasn't even sure because it just all happened so fast. Yeah. Upon watching the in-car camera, I think it was pretty clear that there was some sort of suspension failure in, yeah. in the front end, particularly the right front. And that was a horrible, horrible hit. You just don't want to, man, you just don't want to see anybody take a hit like that. But I <laughs> I, I have to laugh at the in-car footage. I, I think I've watched it seven or eight times, and he was just so calm afterwards and says, that was a wild ride. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, at least he has a sense of humor. And then he put up this longer version last night yeah, where the safety crew is, is coming over and talking to him. And, and they're like, holy crap, are you all right? And, yeah. and he's like, he's already like dis- dissecting what happened. And I, I think something broke here. And it's just like, oh, my, just 
just get out of the car and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. make sure you're okay. And I, I um, loved when they yeah. said, "Can you, can you, can you get out?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm small, about 145 pounds. I'm five yeah. eleven. Like, yeah, exactly. Height <laughs> <laughs> and weight, and it's yeah. like, oh man." It's just like, <laughs> I was thinking in my head, and I'm delirious as heck right now too. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, I'm not my <laughs> my mind is over there somewhere in turn four. Um, you know, I mean, we can chuckle about it now, and and I and and Nathan, I think would would be the first to chime in on the discussion. I've known Nathan a while and he's a great guy, and just he, he wants so badly to. He does not. He's not he he's doing so many races in so many different divisions and and I think sometimes I think people look at that and it's almost like well you know this is just daddy money whatever and it's like no Nathan's got he's using all of this to get the knowledge he needs about all these different cars because he wants to be able to 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 get to Indy and get to Indy car um and be able to apply all of this. This is he, he, this basically is his opportunity to, to fill his notebook. And that's why when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, it was like, man, you know, you're like five in racing years or four, but, but you're, you're almost to your masters. Like you've been running so much. And that's, um, so he's, he's trying to, and he, and he told me, he said, this car, the big block is probably as close to what he's going to be able to have, you know, feel with the Indy car as anything he'll drive. Um, and so he was really excited to do this. And obviously it hasn't the first couple of weeks. He's had some really bad luck, but, um, you know, I hope that, um, you know, they'll be able to, to keep going and, and he'll finish, you know, as much of the year as, as they can, but that car looks like it was pretty much, you know, throw it away, at least from the, from the cockpit forward, um, you know, it looked like it was pretty much wiped out. But man, um, thank God that that the Muldoons build safe cars. Number one, and thank God for the foam. Can you imagine that hit if it was straight into the steel? Oh, I don't even want to imagine it. No, it's, I don't either. No. So thank God for the foam. And again, um, you know, proof that our track safety crew is still. I told uh, somebody this again last night when I sent the video to him. I said, that's how a safety crew works. There was, you know, there, there was there was urgency to get him out of the car, but they they made sure they talked each other through what needed to get done. And you could just hear the communication. And, um, you know, and like you said, he was as you know, as calm as a cucumber, you know, the, the, that analytical mind was already working that, that Birdman has. So, um, if you haven't gotten a chance, if you're a fan or whatever, you haven't got a, gotten a chance to, to, to go meet Nathan, um, hopefully he'll be back. I, I hope that he will. And, uh, you know, make sure you go say hi, cause he, he really is a, a cool dude and follow him on, on his social medias. Cause, um, it's just amazing what he's, being given the opportunity to do and and uh he's not at all um you know arrogant or or whatever self aggrandizing no, it's really the opposite so um okay so um good run dave Schillick, and it wasn't like anybody else ran poorly dave is just in his own zip code right now so way to go dave and ascetic team and we move on to let's go to the 350s oh my gosh i mean you watch this race and it's this is so much about quality right now over necessarily even quantity. And we did have what 14 or 15 of them, but 
wow, the competition in this class is just absolutely incredible. And what a freaking finish. That was that was wild. I, I really didn't know what to think because watching the board, I thought it was pretty obvious that Dalton won. But then So did I. Everybody's like, well, the transponders don't lie, but they, they do. <laughs> they they yeah, actually they do. do. And yeah. when you have a, a tire close to it like that, there's, I don't know, I would have to have somebody explain it to me, but it, it happened when Otto and Doug had that crazy yes. finish a couple of years yeah. ago. I think it still had Doug ahead of Otto, but Otto won. And kind of the way it just offsets itself when the cars come across the line so closely. But nonetheless, that was unbelievable for Jeffrey. He's just an animal to go from third to first in the last lap. And the move that he made on incredible. Dalton, coming out of four, Dalton said it himself. I, I don't know how he did it. I couldn't imagine him actually pulling it off and getting a run enough up on the outside to, to be able to be right next to him at the start finish line. That was just wild. That was a great race. It's just, it's, it's so interesting because again, we talked last week about, you know, what if you introduce Jeffrey and some of the other New England guys into this this mix of cars that we have, right, in a swiggle already? And sure enough, that's just what happened the other night, and you see the outcome. I mean, I feel like like Jeffrey and, and Chase, and I don't know if it's something different about what they've learned about driving those cars in New England or whatever. I think Chase has done as much racing about as much at Oswego as he has at home in New England, but it's like the top groove. Those guys just seem not to be afraid to just put the car up there and drive the snap out of it. And, um, and we certainly saw that on that move with Jeffrey, that was just astounding. Uh, and I actually, the way they started coming off for, I thought Jeffrey was going to get him. And then when they crossed the line, I said, wow, don't got him by like half a bumper or whatever, you know, um, and, um, yeah, the transponder thing is sort of weird because again, it, it just depends exactly where on the car, the transponder is located when it, it hits. And, yes. um, you know, that's why I'm glad they, they stopped and kind of reviewed footage and whatever and made sure that they, cause I think it was pretty clear just to the naked eye looking at it, that, that Dalton was barely ahead, um, yes. you know, so what a what a race! But I mean, gosh, the depth of competition in that class, Sobis, and and you know you got I mean, shoot, Logan Crisofoli went from like who the heck is this guy to like seventh or eighth. It was like, and it isn't that he didn't run good. It's just there's so many really good cars right now. There is. It's it, that division's growing fast and has just in the last few weeks, particular yeah. in particular, and. And now Talon Hawksby's practicing Friday and should be out Uh-oh. Saturday, so we'll see the Hawk 350 this Look weekend. And that's going to be you're going to have another really strong runner in the mix now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, I hope that gets the Colonel back to the track. Honestly, I mean, um, you know, I think uh, Joe Hawksby Senior. You, you know, honestly, I I, I really I wish uh, I need to get get in touch with him somehow and get him on a show because. I mean, that's that's a great example of a guy. We talk a lot about Ron McLeod. Joe is another one that just put his heart and soul and probably more money than, you know, he wishes he would have into his career, especially early on. Um, and but but those are the guys that always put the color into it. And, and uh, Joe had some some storied 
old cars in his uh, fleet over over time before he finally got the Graves car or whatever. I think it was a Graves that he ended with or a West. Um, and, uh, you know, almost won a feature the one night. But, um, you know, yeah, we'll have to get him on. But, man, that's that's you throw tailing into that mix give him a few weeks or maybe he won't need it who knows uh maybe at the end of friday practice he's running 16 six and oh crap look out right but uh you'd think you probably need at least a week or two in race trim to kind of get used to it being on the track by yourself is a whole other experience of being with the other cars but wow um i just can't believe that division i can't stop talking about it that 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 is Everything that I think all of us who wish they would have done this back in the mid nineties, um, I think everything that we thought about what could happen at that time, um, maybe then they wouldn't have had the right package and it would have not been good or whatever, who knows, but, um, boy, it's, it's definitely, it's, I can't imagine you get another seven or eight really good cars on the track with the ones that are there and have a 23 or 24 car field, my goodness. I mean, I know it. you know, <laughs> that's, it's just amazing how quick it's blown up this year. So give us the rundown here for that one. I'll try to get this one right. First <laughs> yeah. was the 08 Dalton Doyle. <laughs> Second, the 14 Jeffrey Battle. Third, the 45 Brian Sobis. Fourth, the 26 Josh Sokolik from 10th. He yeah, was fun to watch. what a drive. Fifth, the 88 Chase, Chase Locke. Sixth, the 20 Kyle Perry. Seventh, the 22 Mike Bruce. He had my old car out for the first time yes. Saturday, so that was kind of weird to see, but they got it going pretty quickly for, for the first night with it. Um, eighth was the 50, Dave Cliff. Ninth, the 75, Logan Crisofoli. Tenth, the 23, Jason Spaulding. Eleventh, the 21, Ryan Battle. That's his first ever time at a Swiggo. That's Jeff's brother. And I think, um, is is that not, is he older or younger? I think he's younger, isn't he? Younger. Younger, yep. that's what I thought, yeah. And let's see, 12th to 31, Nick Barzee, 13th to 5, Roger Clark, 14th to 97, Vern Lefebvre, and 15th to 7, Nick Kenny. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, there, there are probably 12 of those cars that I think could win on any given night. Um, you know, and, and it's just incredible to watch uh, that class from week to week, and you just really never know who's who's going to go out and win a race. Uh you know, I'm glad I'm 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 kind of glad Dalton got the win just because, again, I love seeing that the Oswego cars are, you know, are able to race so competitively with, uh, you know, with the New England guys now. But, um, boy, you bring two or three or four more of those for the classic from New England and with tailing coming in and, uh, you know, whoever else uh, we might get along the way, that is going to be one heck of a show. So good run for everybody. Congratulations, Dalton. That was that was a great race. Uh, certainly we'll, we'll be talking about that one for a while. Um, okay, uh, so that leaves us with the SBS. And I think we we can, as much as we talk about Dave Schillick being – just in his own zip code, I think Danny Kay has arrived there. Uh, <laughs> I would say so. I just watching, I mean, I've always thought that Danny was a championship driver anyway. He just needed the opportunity. Well, now he's got it. That car is on a rail that whatever they're doing, whatever they've got, it, nobody else has got it or found it or whatever or doing it. Um, and, and Danny is just, I mean, he's biding his time. He's not making silly moves. Um, I mean, that's that 
that is, and, and again, he did say he had four new shoes on last week. A lot of other guys probably didn't. So that certainly doesn't hurt, but I mean, he's been doing this all year. So, um, this is as close to a Mike Bond type dominance as we've seen in the SBS, uh, in a long time. And oh, by the way, guess who you said is coming back for this <laughs> week's Mr. Small Block Super Mr. SBS race, uh, Mike Bond. So, um, this should be interesting to watch, but boy, Danny and that whole team have really, really got it together right now. Wonder if they're sick of winning yet. I can tell you, I think Noah Ratcliffe's sick of finishing. I was just going to say, I think uh, Noah may be more sick of losing than Danny will ever <laughs> be of winning yet. I, I mean, I knowing, I, I, you know, having known Danny for so long and and knowing his his father Mike, I mean, that's that's clearly a case of Danny for years dreamed of being able to go win at a swigo and gets it done in a street stock but then you know all that time passes and you know and then now he's at the point where so no i think this is sort of um you know danny uh um uh, getting revenge on all those years that he didn't have you know everything it's like sure. yeah. i don't think he's gonna get tired of winning anytime soon and uh you know, I, I think the competition's going to get a little tougher, obviously Mike coming back, but they're going to have to all go through that 23 car. If they're going to win races at a Swaco, I think. I think so too. Yeah. And, and probably the seven, the 74 this weekend. And, and we'll, we'll see who else shows up here as, as the year goes on, but there's, there's going to be 25 SBS this weekend and full fields all the way this season. And it's been great to see kind of the revival of that class and, and also the level of competition. I think you have, you know, guys like Danny and Noah that are consistently at the front every week and in the class of the field. But you also have a really solid mix. We're, we're really third to to 10th or even 15th place is, I think, I don't know, it's it's wide open. Oh, so, I agree. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been just so entertaining to watch, much like the 350 class, and just to really enjoy the racing this year. Everybody's done a great job. Rookies, sophomore drivers, and also the veterans, of course, have been putting on a show. So, I'm looking forward to, to Mike coming out this weekend and kind of challenging Danny and, and Noah and, and watching that because he's, he's, he's the GOAT. The stats, the stats prove it in that class. So we, we have to, we'll have to see if, if the win in Mr. SBS is going to go through the 23 or the 74 this weekend. Well, I got my money on Danny K. Uh, I, it's, I think Mike's going to have a hard time coming in and just uh, make a mincemeat of Danny K. And if he does, I want to know what that car's got. Because uh, uh, that's as good as you'll see an SBS car run uh, that Danny's been running over the course of the season. Um, you know, and, and let's not uh, leave Griffin Miller out of this conversation either. Because Griffin's been really strong and I think, again, just terrible luck. For him. Terrible luck. Yeah. Um, you know, and so he's another one that, you know, you feel like there's about five guys that that really should get a win before the year's over. Um, you know, and, and certainly Noah and 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 then you got guys like Griffin and you got some other guys that are right in that mix. Um you know, O'Connor's certainly there. Um yep. You know, there's there, but man, oh man. And and every time I feel like every time there's a yellow. Like Danny's just going, yay! You know, it's the old Kermit the Frog, yay! 
you know, because he that closes the gap. Now he's, you know, with the and then, you know, he gets he passes another couple of cars. We have another yellow and he gets, you know, it, and um, it, but it's you just can't give that boy too many chances because, you know, he's through there and gone. And once Danny's out in the lead. Um, you know, it's funny to listen to the announcers. Well, and, you know, so-and-so's closing. It's like, you know, Danny's just kind of, you know, how big of a lead do I got? You know, <laughs> like that's kind of how I look at it when he needs it. He's got it. So an amazing right. performance. Um, give us the, go ahead and give us the rundown. First was the 23 Dan Kapazinski. And second to 73, Noah Ratcliffe again. I think that's his again. fourth, second place finish yeah. this season alone, which is pretty crazy. Third to 77, Cameron Rowe. Nice to see him back. Yes, on the that's another one. Yes, exactly. Fourth to 90, Greg O'Connor. He's another one. Fifth to 04, Robbie Worth. He's Good another for one. Richard. He was down in the 18th yes. with, with that new car, the former Lacerdo car. Big this time. Weekend. So he's, he's knocking on the door. Sixth to double zero, Jude Parker. I've been really impressed with him. Great top five. For sure. Shimon. Uh, a couple weeks back and running really strong in the swiggle as well. Seventh to 62, DJ Schumann. He's continuing to lead the rookie of the year standings. Eighth to 66, Derek Hilton. Ninth to 24, Tony DeStevens. Tenth to 89, Tony Pisa. Eleventh to nine, Griffin Miller. And you mentioned him, but I wanted to, to say real quick how cool it was that during the autograph session, he had the fans come down and sign his car. Oh, really? And a lot of a lot of kids also, and I think it's just he's had such bad luck. The body's gotten beat up on it. It's it's gotten into the wall a couple times, and they've kind of hammered it out and and really neat to to let the kids come down and, and sign it. That was that was a pretty cool deal. Oh, but that's awesome. He was as fast as anyone Saturday. Yes, I just wish was. his luck would turn around because he's another one that's that's going to get to victory lane real soon. I think so too. Yeah. Twelfth um, uh, was the fourteen, Mark Denny. Thirteenth to twenty-seven, John Carson. Fourteenth to seventy-two, Drew Pascuzzi. Fifteenth to twenty-two, Ryan Gunther. Sixteenth to forty-nine, Josh Wallace. Seventeenth to two, Jordan Sullivan. Eighteenth to ninety-three, Dan Brown. That's Jake's dad. That was his first Oswego start. And then nineteenth to thirty-five, AJ Larkin. Okay, so that I was thinking that that's who that was, but I'm glad you clarified that because you had talked about how you know the, it was father son, and we just hadn't seen um, seen the father out yet. So I thought when I was watching, that's probably who that was. Um, boy, what a I mean, again, a good quantity of cars, but great quality as well. So um, you know, it was a, another fun night of racing to watch. Can't wait to um, can't wait to see the ten grand to win. This weekend, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the schedule. Give us kind of the rundown of everything. What's going on for Saturday? Sure. Uh, we have the fan can chase again this Saturday, by the way. But uh, the pits are going to open up at 2 o'clock. Grandstands at 3.15. Warm-ups at 3.15. Group time trials at 5 o'clock. Racing at 6 o'clock. 3.50s will be up first. SBS and then Super Modifieds, 30 laps for the 350s, 2,000 to win, 35 laps for the SBS, 1,500 to win, and 75 laps for the Super Modifieds, 10,000 to win. Okay, so 30 laps for the SBS division. That's right. Okay. I said that again just in case Mike Bruce is listening. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, Mike. For the 350, I had to. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said that wrong. Yeah, the 350 is, is 30 laps. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just 30 laps, Mike. Uh, but uh, yeah, he knows I'm picking on him. But that that's that's uh, is going to be a great show. Can't wait. And then, of course, a week off. Everybody gets a week to 
kind of chill out. Hopefully some of our guys will go to Sandusky and run the high miler. Um, that would be, uh, that would be like pretty pleased guys. I know it's expensive, but if you can, that would be great because we need good car counts all over the place. Um, but, uh, yeah, a chance for everybody to kind of, uh, get their cars back in shape for the run up to the classic, uh, starting in August. And, uh, so now do we have Harbor Fest in Oswego this year? Is that happening again or no? Unfortunately. Okay, I'll see <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I, just, I call it Harbor Mess. I, I usually like to go to Sandusky, but honestly, what, what they've done with the city, um, Mayor Barlow has done such a phenomenal job, and he's done a lot to help the racetrack out as well. And I think Chuck Hanley's still involved in, in Harbor Fest. And actually, I've been I've been amazed. The, the oldest swiggle is, is no more. I checked out the end of Harbor Fest last year, and they've done such a great job cleaning this city up. Breakback Park looks amazing. And the waterfront is amazing. The Harbor Fest was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to it. We won't be in, in Sandusky this year. I get back in Friday night from a trip to Disney with my girlfriend. But we're looking forward to checking out Harbor Fest Saturday and Sunday. That, that should be a lot of fun. And um, campers that are here for race season definitely go down to Wright's Landing and all that stuff and take a look at what they've done to improve the city. It's, it's gorgeous up here now. That's great. And yeah, I mean, I've, see, I've always been a huge fan of Harbor Fest. I, you know, I, I think that people who um, criticize it are, are just being, you know, cranky, uh, honestly. I agree. It's, it's, I agree. You know, the city needs that, that the city needs things like that to, to actually bring people in. Now, you know, we, we could have a whole other discussion about things. Maybe Harbor Fest could have done better or could do better, but um, that's a whole other thing. Uh, it's, it's definitely, a, I think a great weekend. I always loved being a part of it. I had a chance to one of the first years they had it when they had the Syracuse symphony. Um, that was kind of the, I think the, the prequel to the fireworks, um, on oh, Saturday, really? the, one of the first years they had it, the, the symphony played yeah in the park. And before that they had a fifties and sixties, rock and roll revival on that stage and they brought back like three bands that were big time in the city in you know those days and um or or you know at least had a couple of members still you know uh with us or whatever so i actually got to be part of that there were like thirty-five thousand people they said in the park wow. that day because wow, we were the, awesome. that revival was sort of a warm-up to the symphony and that was like it it from the stage behind the drum set looking out at all those people was just incredible uh and and something that i'll never forget so yeah harbor fest to me has been great for the city and and i'm glad that they're still doing it i just wondered because i obviously don't get to hear a lot about any of that stuff anymore not being up there so uh that's a a great thing to do um on the the weekend off and like you said if you're if you you know you got you got a camper here or whatever and you come in just come in and enjoy it and uh have some fun so camden always uh, a pleasure and um more great racing to go through can't wait to talk next week about everything that happens uh at all of the mr to wins um and uh should be some great racing again uh at the fast five eighths of a mile thanks for being on congratulations again on taking a giant step last week and we hope it continues for you Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, that's Camden Proud. We'll be back with more of The Groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. 
Skip's Fish Fries, located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to the Inside Groove as we continue with this week's episode 104 is what it is. And we're going to do a little what's in the number and talk about the number 04. But I'm actually going to flip the order here of uh, that we normally proceed with in this segment. We usually do the what's in the number and then do um, the whatever other little feature topic we want to get into. But in this case... I'm going to flip that uh, because we're basically I want to split this segment up so it's not one giant long segment like we've had. So uh, it gives I think it gives people a natural stopping point to get up and stretch or, uh, you know, do whatever they have to do. (laughs) So and then hit unpause it and come back. So we'll we'll do uh, what's in the number in our next segment. Um, We've been talking about the 1976 Port City 150. The race that didn't want to happen, and we finally, last week, in the third part of this four-part mini-series, if you will, we talked about Maynard Troyer winning the rain-shortened modified race. Now, by that point, we were into the month of June, and remember, this race was supposed to be run on May 16th. So, we're now a month out from the original uh, scheduled date of this race, and we still hadn't run the super modified feature. So I have in my hand from 1976, the sixth program of the year. So this is basically uh, the sixth edition. Uh, And it features on the cover, Dennis Lichty out of Canada, Dennis, of course, uh, Dennis and Brad of Lichty Racing fame. And now, of course, then Mike Lichty is who everybody knows. Mike is Brad's son. Dennis uh, passed away a number of years ago. And uh, I never really got to. I remember getting his autograph a couple of times, but I never really did get to know. I, I know Brad a little better and Mike even a little better than Brad. But um just such nice people, you know, as all Canadians are right. I, um, I tell everybody all the time down here in the South, whenever, you know, you, 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 you talk about somebody from Canada or whatever, it's like, you you just don't get it. The Canadians are the nicest people you'll ever meet. And, um, they're just so much fun. And when it comes to racing, those that are into racing are into racing. And, 
the Wichtys certainly were. Now, by this time, Dennis had an old Todd Gibson car, rear engine car. It was the short wheelbase car that was Todd's purple car that he raced in the, um, I think, probably, what, 74, 75 or so. And he actually qualified it third for the 75 Classic, and then he scratched it to jump in Freddie Graves' Roadster 38. And I think he qualified eighth with that one or seventh, somewhere in there. Um, didn't run particularly well in the race. But, uh, you know, he, I think he just felt that gave him a better shot to do well than the rear engine car did, which is, you know, I look at this car and, you know, there, there are certain, you know, I've never, I don't know that I ever grew up dreaming of being a super modified racer because I just, I don't think I really ever thought it was accessible to me. I, I don't think I ever saw it as something I could ever do. Um, you know, and, and you kind of think about, you know, every once in a while somebody says, well, if you could bring back a car that you would want to go and take laps in, you know, what car would you bring back? And the first two cars I talk about are always the Freddie Graves 38 Roadster from 75 uh, from that era and this car because they're short and there's just something about those shorter wheelbase cars that I like. And, and I, um, this one was just a really cool looking little car. It had, you know, the gold, um, it was gold and it had by this time it had 48 on it, but, um, and, and, and then Dennis always had the red helmet, which, you know, always looked really good with the car. I thought, it just, when you look at the picture, this car, you could just look at it all day. So, you know, to, to just be able to experience what it's like to, you know, to slow lap a super, you know, maybe someday I'll get that chance. Uh, you know, it, it certainly, nobody would have to worry about me hurting the car uh, because I wouldn't go fast enough to hit anything. Um, but, uh, no, this is just a car that, um, that I, that I, uh, I always, I always liked. So that's uh, the cover. Now, what we're going to talk about now is finally we get the super modified feature over with, and it created yet another double header because it was run uh, prior to an entire program of heat semi concian feature for uh, the supers on that night. So it ended up being a day race pretty much just like it would have been, uh, had it run originally, <laughs> Bentley Warren ended up winning it. Now, remember when I started this, I said that part of the reason I'm doing it is because there are just so many little stories within the story, so many things that that have gone on that we can talk about that were so impactful to future history at the Speedway. And here's the big one right here. <laughs> Bentley Warren returning to Supermodifieds after his stint in USAC and IndyCars. He had been banned from USAC, who controlled IndyCar racing at that time. They call it called it championship car racing. Um, because he stepped outside the rule that says that if you're running in USAC, and I think it was something to do with being 
in the top so many in points or something. I don't I can't remember all the the whys and wherefores, but you couldn't go run anything else. And Bentley was kind of like, well, shoot, I don't have a car to drive in the in the in the champ car series. So in the IndyCar series, so I I mean, he went and ran, I don't remember whose car, um, but he went and ran a car at Star Speedway uh in late nineteen seventy five under an assumed name, a fake name. I think it was Kenny Bell or something. And um he got in a really bad crash. The car stuck throttle situation, it went off went kind of like over the wall or whatever, off off the the, the track into a, a bunch of people. It was it was not a good situation. Um, and it, it injured Bentley and, and, um, badly injured some others. Um, the details are in Bentley's book. I'm not going to go through them here, but, um, you know, USAC called the, whoever was heading up USAC called Bentley in the hospital, I think is the way that it went. And, you know, some man Bentley, uh, heard, heard what happened. Sorry to, sorry about your injuries. Uh, by the way, you're banned. You know, it's like, you know, how tone deaf can you get? Right. Um, so um, in the meanwhile, Dave Snyder was going to buy the car that Nolan Swift had been driving. Uh, and I think that car debuted, yes, in 73, pretty sure. And he ran it 73, 74. He had that really cool. I always call it the fruit stripe gum paint scheme. And then in 75, um, the kind of red with all the like gold or silver reflective that he had, it was just that car in 75, the little scoop he had on the the front of it. Oh, I mean, it was Swifty's cars were always gorgeous. And so Dave Snyder buys this car or is going to buy it. He calls Bentley, I guess, maybe to maybe he wanted his approval or maybe he already had it in mind when he called him that he wanted him to drive it. But he asked Bentley, would you drive it? Bentley said, well, yeah. And <laughs> so now here he comes back to a swigo. Now he's already won a big race at Fulton in it. And, uh, and it was still the swift cage and the swift livery. I think it was still even the 10 at that point when he won at Fulton. And then, uh, they take the cage off and they put this new cage on that for all intents and purposes. And those of you who are of the younger part of our audience might not know what this is. Cause I doubt you're, you know, using it much if you even have one, but there was always something called a card table and it, and it was just this, you know, square table that, that you could buy and the legs folded up underneath the top and, and you just set it up and that's what people would play cards on. Right. And, um, this thing looked exactly like a card table. And I guess they were trying to simulate a wing. Plus Bentley was a little taller. I think the Nolan maybe. So it was, you know, they did it for a myriad of reasons, but that, you know, the car became known as the flying card table. And <laughs> he, I remember this race so well because I knew who Bentley was, but Again, I'm young. I mean, you just don't know the depth of the history. I knew that he'd won a classic 
you know, probably knew it was 69 because I, I used to read the older programs and whatever. But, you know, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't see Bentley as this like huge indie car driver who's coming to a Swigo. I just saw him as a guy who used to race who's coming back. Right. It, it, I didn't attach any necessarily um, super reverence to to it. Um, but I, I remember so clearly again, I was, you know, I was a Jimmy fan and I remember so clearly him passing Jimmy Champagne in that race and just watching going, Oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, like this guy's flying, you know? And, uh, it was just, um, it was just incredible. So I, I, with, with that in mind, and I'll, I'll elaborate a little more later, with that in mind, um, let me read the recap. It's fairly short in this edition, interestingly enough. But uh, Port City Super Feature to Bentley Warren. Super modified fans were treated to a fantastic feature go last Saturday night here at the Oswego Speedway when the twice postponed Port City 75 lap feature for the Super Modifieds was run off in fine style with former USAC championship driver. Bentley Warren powering his Dave Snyder special car 77 into the elite Oswego Speedway winner's circle. It was the most satisfying victory for the popular New England speedster as he steadily worked his way into the lead and pocketed a rich $2,000 prize for his efforts. Pulsed Ronnie Wallace shot into the early lead, followed closely by Eddie Bellinger and Jimmy Champagne. Wallace, running real strong, looked good until tire problems slowed his pace, allowing Bellinger, Champagne, and Bentley to move on by. Champagne made the move on Bellinger on lap 21 to take the lead, but a yellow flag on the same lap forced the 0-2 back to the front on the restart. It was 0-2-8-77-76, running right tight together with everyone looking for that right break. Bentley began making the big moves and took Champagne on lap 36 to gain second and one lap later charged by Bellinger for first. With Warren out front, Champagne tried repeatedly to get by Bellinger and finally after many laps of trying, Champagne edged Bellinger out for second on the 60th lap. Champagne wasn't about to give up for first and he moved in behind Warren but couldn't find enough power to get by. Bentley moved flawlessly through traffic while Champagne and Bellinger followed along. It was Bentley Warren to the finish line first with the Dave Snyder Special Car 77. It was Ben's first feature victory at Oswego since returning from his USAC campaign the last few years. Jimmy Champagne with the eight ball and Eddie Bellinger in the 2 finished second and third respectively. Ronnie Wallace placed fourth with a 76 and Canadian Johnny Spencer was fifth in the 07. The balance of the field included, I'm just going to read this like a rundown, 6th, the 96th of Denny Wheeler, 7th, the 36th of Chuck Siprich, 8th was Brian Herb in the 11, 9th, the 21 of Dick Batchelder, 10th, the 37 of Sam Carista, 11th, the 27 of Scott Wilson, 12th, the 18 of Jimmy Thompson, 13th, the 7 of Ron Graves, 14th, the 91 of Eddie Thompson, 15th, the 4 of Gary Kelly. 16th, the 15 of Rex Kinney. 17th, the 44 of Jamie Moore. 18th, the 34 of Mike Rizzo. 19th, the 28 of Kemp Dates. 20th, the 80 of Ronnie Madison. 21st, the Flying Five of Norm Macrath. 22nd, the 06 of Joe Paino. 
23rd, the 99 of Bobby Stelter. 24th, the 35 of John Logan. 25th, the 45 of Johnny Bush. 26th, the 39 of Freddie Graves. That was the Mill Height four-wheel drive car. 26th was the 97 of Tom Leeson. 27th, the 85 of Dan Denny. And 28th was the 9 of Steve Joy. I'm not sure exactly why Steve finished all the way back there, but um, he didn't. Now, he didn't do that very much in 76. I can tell you that because he chased Jimmy all the way to the wire for the championship. Um, so, again, think about think about how how did how would it have changed? Thank God, USAC and I. I you know I'm not. I look at that rule and I'm still trying to really understand, honestly. Why that there was ever a rule that restricted what drivers could and couldn't do. That seems like restraint of trade to me, but um, you know, I and I don't see how it benefits USAC other than if if you did get hurt, obviously they couldn't promote you as being part of their show. But I mean I don't know. That's um that's that that just feels wrong to me. But thank God for that rule that I consider silly because if they had the band him and Bentley would have never agreed to drive that car. How much different would the mid seventies to, you know, 2000 and whatever, when Bentley finally stopped racing, what was it? Oh, seven Oh eight. He ran his last race or whatever. Was it later than that? Um, think about what we would have lost all the amazing drives, the amazing performances, all of the the funny moments in the pits. Um, wow. <laughs> so, you know, part of the reason I wanted to go through that whole saga was because what I realized is that in 76, you know, you, you had new things that came in for the season, like mufflers. Um, you had the new sort of divider that, that kind of divided um, pit lane. Um, you know, and of course, from the driving standpoint, to, to have Bentley return and, and win that race, especially in the way that he did, was just incredible honestly and if if we could have only known that what that was going to start like that was the the trigger point for for the 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 second part of Bentley's career and to have gone from that and of course again you could do a whole mini series on Bentley right and just thinking about the the car owners that he got to drive for all the races that he won the championships um all of the the moments that make Bentley Bentley right um the whole thing with you know with Doug Haveron in in the 80s um yeah, I mean we could almost argue that Bentley the chapter one. And the, I mean, if you read Bentley's book and if you haven't, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> it's called wicked fast. 
order the book and read it. I promise you, you will thank me later. It's a great story. Don't read it in a restaurant. You'll disturb your neighbors because um, it's it's just the stories in there just fall down funny. Um, it's 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 an incredible book. But when you just think about that race was, you know, like what what was to come out of that race was pretty amazing. So Bentley ended up getting the win there. Um, and again, we, you know, it, Camden and I talk about, you know, we've had times before. I mean, Dave Schulich is the current guy. You know, it, some years it was Champagne and, then, you know, maybe it was Havron. It was Bentley. You know, um, I think in 77, I would say it was Kemp Dates. You know, you, you, you always had 1980s Warren Conium. Um, you know, you always had a driver that was. It seemed like there were a number of years you had a driver that just nobody could touch or, you know, just got really hot and won a bunch. And uh, th- th- back then, when you think about the names I just read off in that finish, it's like the 350 class is now. You know, there's there's 10 or 12 guys out of the field on any given night were capable of winning. And, you know, Bentley got his that day, and it wasn't the last one. So let's go to Ivor the driver because there's some fun things that we can talk about from this too. Again, you, the advantage of being able to look back across the years and just at times asking what if. So here we go. This is Ivor the driver reports. Uh, same program, 1976. Last week's racing event sure have turned things around a bit. It looks as though it's going to be another super competitive year. Dave Snyder, owner of Bentley Warren's Car 77, has been putting a lot of time in on the car, as has Bentley himself. Matter of fact, Bentley takes the car home with him to Massachusetts, and Snyder, who owns his own plane, flies up to work on it. They say they've still got some changes to make yet. When they're satisfied, yes, they are going to paint it. It will be red. That never happened. Uh, It sure was a surprise to see that car run as well as it did. Um. Again, part of the lore that that we got out of this chapter of Bentley's career is the Bentley was the ugly duckling long before Dean Hogue ever thought of being the ugly duckling. Okay, (laughs) that car a year or two later looked like crap, but it still was fast. Four rear ends shot in four weeks. That's the story for George Keenan's car 35. Each time the rear end is gone, Johnny Logan has been in the feature event somewhere in the top five. George says a complete teardown during the entire uh, complete teardown during the entire driveline. I think it teardown of the entire driveline is in order. Uh, additionally, there has been a rash of rear end problems with supers this year. Or actually, there has been a, a rash of rear-end problems with the Supers this year, Ivor says. One of the reasons was the show at Delaware Speedway last month. Seems as though there was a nasty bump going into the first turn and cars were getting airborne. The rear-ends were winding out. Then comes the sudden jolt back to the ground. Graves, I think that would be Freddie, but it, he doesn't say which one. Uh, Wilson, Scott Wilson, Kemp Dates, and Mike Rizzo all lost rear-ends on the spot with residual effects showing up in a Swigo on the Logan, Salve, and Joya machines. Wow. Um, so here's here's something. Check this out. Gary Albritton will make one more attempt to find a USAC champ ride this weekend at Milwaukee. 
If not, it looks like he'll be back in Oswego in one of two cars, either the two car of Nelson Powell, so he would be teamed up with Jim Cheney, or he's been offered a ride in his old 75 car by present owner Tim Richmond Sr. Richmond has two roadsters, the original 75 and a copy of it. Maybe a team of Daryl Harrison and Gary Albritton. I am told it is Richmond's dream. This is Richmond Sr. now. His dream for 1977 to have four roadsters competing in Oswego with drivers Albritton, Harrison, Todd Gibson, and Tim Richmond Jr. It sounds like it's kind of far-fetched, seeing as we haven't seen either Harrison or Richmond as yet this season. Another case for seeing is believing. I'm going to pause this reading of Ivan the Driver. Picture this, if you will. Here again, can you imagine? We all know that the career that Tim Richmond went on to have. Can you imagine if we had gotten to see him at a swingo for a year or two? Obviously, that never did happen, but I think think we did see Daryl Harrison a little bit. But um, goodness gracious, uh, that would have been an, an, an amazing thing. Um, and again, what's what's you know, this is why you read Ivor. Jim Winks has the ride in the 04 on a permanent basis. Wish them a lot of luck. Warren Coney, meanwhile, is working on his new machine along with Doug Sire, the car owner. The car will be yellow and numbered 52. Um, Jim Winks has the ride in the 04 on a permanent basis. If we were to keep going through the 76 season, uh, that would change. One Jim would be out. Another Jim would be in Jim Winks out, Jim Cheney in. And, um, boy, was that a potent combination? We'll get to that when we talk about the 04, uh, number in a minute. John Spencer and Ron Madison were released from the hospital on Sunday morning. Spencer has a broken shoulder blade while Madison suffered two broken ribs. This puts both drivers out of action for some time. The cars, however, are not that badly damaged. It remains a question whether Doug Duncan will bring the 07 back with a substitute driver. Now, again, interrupting Ivor, we can look forward into that season and remember what I just read about Gary Albritton. Well, Gary didn't get his USAC champ right, I guess, because he ended up coming back to Oswego in the 07. And there was no temporary about it because, like, the second week out, he won. And then I think he won again. And um, he finished second, I think. Yeah, second, I'm pretty sure, in the Classic to Steve Joya that year. Uh, there was no replacing. But here's the irony of it. Um, Gary and Doug only stayed together through the end of the 76 season. They didn't carry on into 77. Not sure why. Um, but ironically enough, the next driver of the 07 was none other than Jimmy Winks. So it's just funny how you read a column like this and, you, you you sort of, well, the pieces are, you know, this driver's over here, and then later on, he went over there, right? You're just moving them around. It's it's kind of uh, funny to, to to do that. Now, here's another case. Dutch Hogue will be out of action by most of the, or for most of the summer months, and perhaps another veteran in the family, Baldy Baker, will be taking Hogue's place behind the wheel of the Turner Brothers 78 car. 
Baldy drove it once. I really, I remember him. I remember, I can still picture him hot lapping. And I, I, I don't know that he did that great in the racing, but um, I would like to have seen that uh, last a little longer. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Rick Batters of Toronto, Canada. We'll be back within a couple of weeks. Batters, who purchased the old Harv Lennox and the even former Jack Greedy Roadster late last season. Greedy had it before Lennox. Had the misfortune of having a garage fire and lost most of his equipment. Fortunately, they saved the car. A better real disappointed driver last week was Freddie Graves. Fred came to the track with two cars and neither car held up to run the feature. How can you figure it? So Ivor's prediction for this this next race, Ron Wallace, Jimmy Champagne, Bentley Warren kept dates and Steve Joya. Um, I don't think he was right about the winner. Okay, what else have we got here that we can read? Oh, yes, we have another feature to talk about from that same night. Remember, the Port City ended up being the opening act, <laughs> interestingly enough. Um, here's the uh, highlight. Now, this I really remember, but Kemp Dates breaks 45-lap feature record. This was a caution-free event. Last week's double feature program here at the Oswego Speedway developed into a tremendous one-two punch, which really socked it to the fans as the second feature turned out to be even more competitive than the first one. Charging home for the regular 45-lap feature laurels was Kemp Dates of Red Creek, New York, who narrowly edged Jimmy Champagne in a thriller which had the fans standing during the last few laps of the race. Dates in his 28 looked mighty impressive in the early part of the year here, and his $1,500 first-place check was well-earned by the popular local driver. Ronnie Wallace jumped to the early lead with a 76 and was setting a good pace. On came a hard-charging Kemp Dates and Chuck Siprich, and these two talented speedsters caught Wallace. They were followed by uh, very closely by Jimmy Champagne, Bentley Warren, Eddie Bellinger, and Steve Joya. So there are seven drivers right there that honestly all of them are legends and they were all on the track at the same time and there were about five or six more that, that are legends that were on the track at the same time at the same time they were um the last named running extremely strong after having to start at the rear of the field following his conti victory that would be joy everything was shaping up to be a tremendous duel by the 25th lap and no one would be denied of a spectacular showing Wallace again was the victim of tire troubles, but this veteran speedster still managed to hold off a pack of hungry challengers for as long as he could. It was obvious that Wallace wouldn't hold on much longer, and it would be decisive as to who would make the first move to gain the lead. By lap 30, the top seven cars were racing right bumper to bumper, and the fans were going wild. Dates went to the outside and charged past the 76, while at the same time, Champagne and Sipperich dueled in unbelievable form to gain the advantage over Wallace. Champagne came off with second, and Sipperich blasted on for third. Warren Bellinger and Joya followed through, slipping Wallace back. Over the last five laps of the race, Dates led this pack of challengers in and out of traffic and always came up with the right moves to maintain his lead. Down to the checkered flag came Captain Dates in the Noble Oil Company car 28 as the feature victor. The race was not interrupted. That means no cautions. Uh, and Dates paced the field at a speedy clip of over 118 miles an hour average speed, the fastest 45-lap feature ever run. Jimmy Champagne again settled for second with the eight ball. Charging Charlie Siprich again did a fantastic job with a Buckner car 36 and took third. Bentley Warren was fourth in the 77. And Eddie Bellinger fifth with the 02. 
And here we go with a rundown of the rest of the field. Sixth, the nine of Steve Joya. Seventh, the 76, Ronnie Wallace. Eighth, the 11 of Brian Herb. Ninth, the 96, Den Wheeler. Tenth, the 97 of Tommy Leeson. Eleventh, the 7 of Ron Graves. That was the old Buckner 36. Twelfth, the 34, Mike Rizzo. Thirteenth, the 18 of Jim Thompson. Fourteenth, the 21, Dick Batchelder. Fifteenth, the 06, Joe Paino. Sixteenth, the C15 of Rex Kenny. Seventeenth, the 16 of Jerry Buskey. Remember him? Eighteenth, the 4 of Gary Kelly. Nineteenth, the 45 of Johnny Bush. Twentieth, the 04 of Jimmy Winks. 21st, the 48 of Den Lichty. 22nd, the 99 of Helter Stelter, Bobby Stelter. 23rd, the 37 of Sammy Carista. 24th, the 08 of Don Whalen. Heats were won by Ronnie Wallace, Bentley Warren, and Dick Batchelder. The semis were taken by Warren and kept dates. And Steve Joya ended up winning the Concy. Uh, let's see here. Um... Just going through this book here a little bit uh, to see anything interesting. Um, I've got my books from so many different people that I don't remember where this one came from. But um, I always love it when you look at the racing game that they used to have. For those of you who don't know what that is, it was a page in the book. It's called the racing game. They used to have, again, we only had one class back then, just the super. So they had all the car numbers. And I don't know how they did it like how the process worked, but they somehow they would stamp two of them with an X. It was random, uh, I think. <laughs> and uh, and if, if what you did is those are the two cars that you played with in this racing game, and you had to take each car's heat semi and feature finish and total it up. And if the two cars totals combined were 25 or less, you got a free pass to get in to the grandstand. So, um, you always wanted, you know, two good numbers and, you know, we, I was lucky enough over the years to win a few and, uh, it was great because that meant that both of my parents could go on, you know, like the following week or a future week, we couldn't always, I guess, you know, there wasn't always the money for both of them to go. So they kind of alternated one would take me then the other one. And my mother always loved the modified. So my dad was happy to, I, I don't think he disliked them. It's just, you know, given the choice, um, you know, he would, so like my mother would usually take me to the modified 200 and then my dad would go to the classic if they both couldn't. Um, so that's kind of how that worked in those days for us. But, um, this program, you don't say again, this is the column where you have candid pictures from the pit area, uh, drivers in conversation or just looking at something or whatever, just your candid shot. And then they put a caption under it that um, purports to be funny. Sometimes it actually is sometimes not so much. I thought this one was one of the classics former driver, Pepe Cone talking to Bentley Warren uh, <laughs> and Pepe's kind of got his, I don't know how to describe this, but he's got his, his hands up to his, his glasses and he's kind of like binocular, the binocular pose, I call it, you know, you're looking through the little, you know, little circle there. Uh, and he, the caption is this set and Bentley's smiling as he often does says Pepe Cohen to Bentley Warren. You should have seen champagne's eyes when you passed him. Why they bugged right out of his head. I thought that was funny. Um, 
says Mark Letcher to Baldy Baker. The two of them out in the grass, I assume, between three and turns three and four, just sort of uh, squatting down, having a conversation, neither in a fire suit, neither were racing. Says Mark Letcher to Baldy Baker, well, I never thought it would happen to us, Baldy, but here we are, put out to pasture. Not for too long, however, they would return. Says Dick Batchelder, just a picture of Dick looking uh, kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, stressed, worried. Um, oh, these super running guys give me such a headache. And last but not least, Jimmy Champagne looking down the injector stacks of his motors, says Jimmy Champagne. And this is, you're supposed to assume an echo here. Hello down there, there, there. I need more power, power, power. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he definitely needed that. Okay, so Ronnie Wallace. Picture of Ronnie battling with uh, Rex Kinney uh, and some other cars. And then we got a picture of Freddie Graves. Um, he was involved in a chain reaction accident during the Port City. And a collapsed left front suspension put him out. Uh, that was with the 39. Um, these books were so thick and had so many uh, cool photos and a lot of articles in the books as well. Um, just, uh, you know, won't share all the pictures. Uh, Ronnie Madison had a terrible accident. Um, that night flipped wildly down the back straightaway and um, just really heavily damaged his, his car. Johnny Spencer in a bad one that uh, broke his shoulder blade. Uh, Madison with rib injuries. Um, picture of Jimmy Wink strapping into the 04. Outstanding individual of the week. This was another uh, neat feature, I thought, of the programs back then. They would name an outstanding individual. And you know, somebody who did something unique or, you know, just a great drive, whatever. And sometimes it was the winner, and but not always. This week, it says, Outstanding Individual of the Week. Are you kidding? <laughs> In big letters. Um, and here's the explanation. No way would I attempt to pick one outstanding individual from last Saturday night's racing program. Five, maybe, but one, forget about it. There was Bentley Warren who made a surprising comeback in the former 10 pins machine. He copped the first feature, the rained out 75 lap port city then went on to set a new heat record, an all time speed record of 120.536 miles an hour. Or how about Kempton dates winning the exciting 45 lap feature, which ran nonstop to give Kemp a chance at breaking the feature race speed record, which he did. Don't forget the man who, although finished only second in both features, I use the phrase only second because he's used to being number one, Jimmy Champagne. He actually made both races by challenging both Warren and Dates right to the wire. Then there's Charging Charlie Siprich taking the Rob Buckner car 36 to a seventh place in the Port City race, parentheses, uh, when the Port City race was originally to be run back on May 16th, Buckner was not going to run his car this season and Siprich was driving modifieds down at Orange County close parentheses, and a brilliant run in the 45-lap feature for a third-place finish. Steve Joy and crew deserve kudos again this week. They developed rear-end problems in the first feature, went home and tore the rear end apart, fixed the problem, came back, qualified for the main by winning the Concy, and worked, all the, worked his way all the way up into the seven-car lead pack and photo finished for fifth place with Eddie Bellinger. 
Eddie Jr. turned in some fine driving Saturday night as well, taking a third and a fifth in the features. And oh, by the way, did anyone notice what a credible job Jimmy Winks did in his new ride, the 04? Starting from scratch in the feature event, Jimmy wheeled his way all the way up to eighth place when the car developed engine problems. How do you expect me to pick one driver out of these stars? No way! Now, which I, by the way, that was, and I, it's so funny when, because you would think, right, because there's no attribution, right? The, the way, you know, you would see it in proper written form, there's, when there's no attribution, it's usually the third, it written in the third person. This was written in the first person. I think we all know it was George Jr. Um, George Caruso Jr. He, he wrote, I think, a lot of the, the programs back then. The editorial, I think, was him. Ivor, I know, was him. Are you kidding? You know, the outstanding individual, I think, was probably him. Um, just uh, George did so much that people really know about, um, which was awesome. Now, here's uh, – and also, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing George d- did the Expressing Your Views column, too, and this was the fan letter. You didn't see one of these every week, but – here I'm going to read this for a specific reason, and you'll know why after I read it. Remember, we've just finished talking about a port city that took a month to run. So here's the letter. To whom it may concern, and also the name of the person. If this is who I think it is, and I'm guessing it is, again, it's just funny how this plays out. To whom it may concern, being an avid and concerned race fan, I would like to make the following suggestions in regards to the Port City 150. This should be held on Memorial Day weekend. I wish I had a bell to, to ding. Like many other racing fans, my family and I must travel a long distance to Oswego, 345 miles from Tewksbury, Massachusetts. If the Port City 150 was scheduled for Memorial Day weekend, it would enable everyone interested to see this event. By running the Port City 150 on the long weekend, it would alleviate the most pressing the possibility of a washout. Sincerely, Joe Barry, who I believe is the same gentleman who later went on to own the supermodified 01 car that so many people drove. P.S., he says, it would give you a possibility of two Saturday nights to run two supermodified races before the Memorial Day weekend, allowing owners and drivers to take out any kinks in their car and perhaps provide for even a more outstanding Port City 150. Now, here's the response. Dear Mr. Barry, a very good suggestion indeed, something that I'm sure we'll consider when we make up our 1977 schedule in early October of this year. So as you can see, they took Mr. Barry's suggestion and the Port City 150 did indeed become a a Memorial Day weekend race. And uh, again, the the what that opened up, I mean, just again, from my own past experience um in the late 80s or i think it was early 90s actually when i started uh, i think it was 91 i think is when i started or 92 the the inside groove radio show on star 105.5 up there um at that time rick nelson and i 
were introduced to each other. And uh, I did a whole one of these shows with Rick, too. So um, that's back earlier in the catalog. But um, we used to go out to Indy and we would go out for Carb Day and then turn around and drive all the way back on Saturday to be for Sunday for the Port City. Um, and even prior to that, I can remember in, in, in particularly 1982, I think it was 82, whatever the year was that Gordy Johncock and Rick Mears had the photo finish where Gordy ended up winning it. I can remember being in the grandstand at Oswego, um, and, and I remember that the modified race, I believe, had already been run. And, of course, at that time, Star 105, I think it was, used to play the live broadcast of the 500. It was only on radio. It was not live on TV in those days. They would tape delay it. And I can remember being in the grandstand and they held up the fit, the start of the super modified race to play the last number of laps over the PA of the radio live broadcast of the 500. And when Gordy John Cock won, the whole crowd applauded. Um, you know, everybody was, that was, um, that was a beautiful moment in time at that happened at the speedway. And you think about that in context now, where we have all this social media stuff where everything is sort of live and in front of you um, to a fault, I think, unfortunately. I don't think it's all good. Um, I mean, we saw in the past week two absolute PR big-time blunders, one in NASCAR and one in IndyCar, um, that would have never happened if social media weren't didn't exist. But But if you think about what happened in that moment in 1982 it it was a similar sort of you know scenario where we were sitting in one place but we were able to hear what was going on in, in Indy you know 10 hours or 11 hours whatever it is away from a swigo and um we were able to spontaneously react when our guy won you know, the former super driver in Oswego won. Um, we were able to spontaneously react just like the crowd in Indy. So you think about things like that, and it's just kind of fun to um to to recall moments like that. Um that was a that was really cool and it was fun to watch it later. Um I always I always part of me always hated to know the end before I watched the tape delay, but that year was okay. Right. Cause, uh, Gordy ended up winning. He was my, that was my driver in India at that time. My dad was always a Foyt fan. Um, and you know, we obviously both got our share, but, um, you know, that was, that was a, that was a great day. And then the super race came out and we got to enjoy that. Um, trying to remember, I don't, uh, see, that would have been 80. If, if it was 82, I don't remember if it was 81 or 82. I know Haveron was there. So it was one of those two years that, that he, um, I'm going to say maybe it was 82. So that would have been the year that, um, that Jimmy had the 89 
and almost pulled off the win in the Port City. He was going to beat Doug, and then the he had a suspension part break. And if if you remember that race, he was he was still leading the race with I think it was the left front, left front or right. It was the I think it was the left front wheel was like caving in, almost like over cambering, and he kept having to you know, arc the corners more and more and more. And, you know, Doug was closing on him and we were all waiting for the big, you know, the big finish to see if Doug could have, could have beaten him. And, um, Jimmy just eventually came to a stop in turn one because he just couldn't turn the car anymore. Um, and Doug ended up winning the race. I think, I think that, that John Cock, I think that all happened that year. It was either it was either eighty one that John Cock won or eighty two. But if it was eighty two, that's what I think uh, I remember happening in the Port City, and um, that was just one of those races. We never really did get to see the Heveron Champagne duel that year with with those two cars. Um, you know, we did get to see Jimmy and Laprade had built the new Heveron car. Um, and we got to see Jimmy take that car out in a heat race one night and just, I mean, it was, he just, it was unbelievable. Like he, he just blew the field into the weeds. And, and, um, I mean, if imagine I, if that, if he had ever raced that car in the feature, but it didn't happen because Doug had an issue with the motor in the main car. So Doug ended up taking it. Doug ended up winning the feature with it that night, I think. Um, and Jimmy went back to the 89 car, but I think he, you know, he, he said, I, you know, I want, I was curious. I think Jimmy just really wanted to, to, to see what, you know, what, what that car had, and, um, you know, see what was going on there. And holy cow. Um, I think Maynard Troyer also won a heat race with it with that same car during the year, one of the double header nights. Um, I don't think he started the feature either. Cause I think Doug needed it that night too. Cause I think the other car that wants, they maybe ended up in a wreck. I don't know. Um, my memory gets so fuzzy sometimes now. I don't, I don't, but I think that I know Maynard ran it. Um, so yeah, but at any rate, so some great memories of the port city race, but that was, um, that race in 76, it just, it, it, I thought it was never going to get over. And I, um, I know that there was a year and I thought it was 76, which was part of the reason I wanted to do the, the mini series, but I don't, I, it obviously wasn't. I, I, I know there was a year that they, I'm pretty sure they tried running the race. They, or they ran the race on a Tuesday. It got rained out on Sunday, rained out on Monday, and they ran it on a Tuesday. And like half of the Oswego City School District students, including this one, um, had super modified fever that day. And so the amount of state aid that the uh, <laughs> that the district lost for the day was probably um, in the millions. I don't know. But um, needless to say, the district wasn't very happy. So... Uh, the Speedway never did that again, but I know there was one year and I, I, it, 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 I don't know, maybe it was 75 or maybe it was 77, but there was one year in that stretch where I think that I think I'm pretty sure it was the port city race that they, they ran on a Tuesday. And, um, you know, I mean, there, 
there wasn't even a thought in the Baker household about, you know, where Tom's loyalty was. Let's go racing, boys. Uh, you know, and that was so I know that was a thing at some point because I remember there was a program where they actually published a letter that um, the Speedway had written to the state about Memorial Day being a holiday. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe they ran it on the Monday and it wasn't a maybe it wasn't a holiday for the schools at that point. Maybe maybe that's what happened. But um so there was something about that too. So if I can find more information about that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have more detail on that later if we can come up with it. But I, I'm, I'm 99.5% positive that I remember that happening. Cause I distinctly remember, um, mom writing the excuse the next day, you know, that I was, uh, quote unquote sick. Um, basically what the problem was, was I was addicted to methanol, um, and speed. And so, uh, and the, and the French fries probably and chocolate milk. So that was my go-to thing at the track back then. It was, I didn't even need a burger or hot dog all the time. It was always give me a French fry and a chocolate milk. Um, anyway, so that was, uh, that was the 76 sports city. Hope y'all enjoyed that. We're going to actually take a break here when we come back we're going to talk about what's in a number and talk about the number 04 so we'll be back with the closing segment and what's in a number right after this is your job sucking the life out of you wake up you can do something else information technology i know what you're thinking but i'm not a math and science person no problem and no excuses Because it's not rocket science, it's My Computer Career. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Mycomputercareer.edu, that's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to the show. As we have our final segment here, this is episode 104. So... Again, if this is your first time listening to the show, when we got to episode 36, I I started a what's in a number and I started to talk about the significance of that episode number to Oswego Speedway and Supermodified History as in, you know, drivers that have driven that number or kind of its place in history. And so we worked our way all the way to 99 and then um, I was okay, that's it. And then, um, Robert Metcalf, who's one of our super fans. Um, he came up with the idea that since we're going to episode 100 and since I started at episode 36, why not start with double zero as the number? So it's last two digits of the episode and go all the way up to 35. So that's what we started doing. It was a great suggestion. I love it when Fans come up with those things and we can incorporate it into the show. That's always fun. It's a great idea. So we are now, uh, we did double zero. We did a one Oh two and we did Oh three last week. And so now we're on to zero four. Now the Oh four number in speedway history. Again, um, I will remind, I started going in 73. So I know some history prior to that just from older programs, but, um, I didn't experience it. So, and even a lot of the history I did experience seems to no longer be entrenched in my brain, um, which is why I missed uh, Jack Stevens and Buddy Deal 
in that 03 group. But um, the 04, when I, when I started going, Warren Conium had started racing the car by then. Now, I know that prior to that, and this is the Salve Automotive 04, by the way, and and we'll get we'll talk about those guys in a minute, but the I know that prior to that, uh I think it was Kenny Bartholomew that that started the seventy I think it would have been the seventy three season with it. By the and and so I don't you know, again, I, I've I've always tried to figure out exactly what my first race was. I remember that Jimmy won, and um, I'm almost positive Ronnie Wallace got second in the 10 pin, so that kind of narrowed it down to a couple, but um, I'm pretty sure by the time I, I mean, maybe Kenny did race it, and I just don't remember. Uh, maybe he was racing when I started, but I, I, I do remember Warren driving it even back then, um, and they built him a new one, I think, for 74 five maybe um but uh anyways war uh before that kenny bartholomew and then prior to that they had the car they called the woodshed it was that boxy looking and there were a few of those jimmy champagne had one they were just you know they were boxy looking cars um crude looking cars but bobby stelter was the driver and um, had uh, a, a good amount of success with Bobby. And I'll never forget, we were at, we were in a roast. And I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know if it was the Jimmy Champagne roast or they did one for Nolan Swift too. Oh gosh, that was a hoot. Um, but I think it was Jim, it was either Jim Delusia or John Pallotta one of them made a speech and and they mentioned Bobby in the speech and it might've been Swifties because Bobby did drive for Nolan briefly. Uh, In fact, I think he left the 04 to go drive the 10 and uh, that was Nolan's first attempt at retirement, which didn't last very long. And they made a comment about Bobby that, you know, he always said he was going to Indianapolis. So then he stopped at a bar along the way. Um, And, uh, that got a big laugh. Bobby was known for uh, having a good time. And so he never quite made it. But um, at any rate, the 04 was, when I started going, it was Conium. And I think Stelter, I think they, I, I think, and somebody can correct me, but I think that was the first Salve 04 was the woodshed with Bobby driving it. I'm pretty sure that was the case. And then I think Kenny Bartholomew started 73 in it and um, was replaced by Warren Conium, who drove it until 1976. He drove it through the end of 75. And um, he won some races in it, won the Sandusky Classic in 75, had some great drives in the Classic. The, The 74 Classic had to be... One, I think that would rank, if not the most exciting classic down to the wire in history. It certainly is in the conversation. You had Jimmy Champagne, Bobby Stelter in the Buckner car, Conium in the 04, and Nolan Swift in the 10 pins. They were two by two passing each other in traffic. 
coming to the wire and sadly a caution came out with a few laps to go and sort of robbed us all of what would have been an incredible finish but um at that time they would run it out under caution and jimmy ended up winning but um what a finish that would have been it was uh it was just an incredible race but and so the 04 to me is one of those iconic cars teams um jim delusion john palata uh the number of drivers they had in that car um over the years again conium through the end of 75 um then you had um jimmy winks became their driver in 76 after conium quit to go drive for Doug Sire, who was his father-in-law with the, they had uh, Doug had purchased the, the car that kept dates built in. I think it was 73 and ran it till the end of 75 that went over to Doug Sire and became the car that Conium had or drove for him. Um, and Jimmy Wink started the year and started in the car, ran it for a few weeks. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't know why that partnership didn't last, uh, but for whatever reason, he got out of it, and Jim Cheney took over in it, and Jim ran it in 76, and I think he won a feature at the end of the year with it, or late in the year. Um, 77, he drove it and was a contender all year long, won a couple races at Fulton, um, and... Um, he might have won one or two other. I don't know if there was other out-of-town shows that he won or not. But um, I don't know that he won at a swig of it all in the early part of 77. But he was he was a strong car all year. And uh, then during that season is when he had the fire. They There was a crash. I don't remember what the circumstances of the crash were. But there, were, there was a crash. And the car ended up... Um, kind of like over on its side and remember he had um what i call the closed cage they had a closed cage on it at the time um kind of like nolan swift used to have and i i don't know i really don't know why that was ever a thing because i i it just of course it's easy to look back and and i'm no engineer so you know i'm not gonna but it just when you look back, it's like why would anyone have ever not had a like a square shaped top of, of the cage where you could climb in and out instead of having to get out the side? It's just surprising that no one thought before you know, before that fire happened with Cheney, um, no one must have ever given it a thought that, you know, what if the car was upside down, it's just harder to get out. Well, the car was you know, we will say upside down. It wasn't literally on the cage, uh, but it was upside down as much as you get a car upside down at that point and, and on fire. And it was a bad fire. And Cheney, um, they they pulled Cheney out of the car, but, you know, he 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 got burned pretty badly. And um, he was out of action the rest of the year. Now, um, let me see. They came back for that classic in 77. And if I make my brain work right, I think Merv Treichler was the guy that drove it 
um, Merv was a modified driver, asphalt and dirt, and had driven the Egg Close 69 Super a time or two. So it wasn't that he'd never been in a Super, um, but he agreed to drive the car and ran the Classic with it and ended up in a bad wreck with Del Meeks. Um, and Del, Del had the car that uh, kept dates built for Warren Conium that year. The 46 car, Warren had, by then, 77 was the year of the dates revolution. And there were a number of dates cars on the track by then. Um, and Conium had one, was the 46 car. <coughs> Excuse me. And then um, he had built one for Dave McKnight, senior. And Dave had Johnny Spencer in it. Well, McKnight and Spencer split. And uh, Conium, the his car was out with a motor issue. I think what had happened is Warren wanted to swiggle, and then the next day flipped the car at Fulton, and it overrev the motor or something happened. So while Doug Sire was rebuilding the motor, um, Conium jumped in the six and never got out of it. So he ended up selling his own car, and um, so that's what Meeks had. And Dell flipped pretty badly, and I'm not sure he ever actually came back to racing. He might have for a race or two, but then sold the car um, to Joe Paino for 78. That was um, that was how that worked. But anyways, the 04, I think Tricler was in it then. And um, I can't remember if anyone else ran it after that in 77. Maybe, I know there was a point when Dick, no, that wasn't, I don't think that, I think that was 78. Uh, so in 78, Cheney came back. He won his first race back in a car at Thompson in the spring. Man, I wish I could have been there for that. What an amazing moment that must have been. Um, could barely take his hands off the wheel. His hands were badly burned. Um, you know, it affected him not in a good way for the rest of his life, really. Um, such a tragic end he took his own life eventually. But Jim was Jim was just I he was a driver that I always thought was every bit Bentley Warren just never had the opportunities Bentley had. I think Jim Cheney was a great, great driver. Um he started the season in it and um I think Jim's words were that he, he eventually got out of it. Um, he just didn't think he was doing the job. I don't know that Salve thought that, but he didn't think that. Um, but anyways, he got out of it and Eddie Bellinger had crashed his car. So Eddie got in it for a few weeks and actually, I think helped him straighten the car out a little bit and get it running better. And then Jim Cheney got back in it and Cheney ran it for, most of the rest of 78 and uh, I guess, or all the rest of 78, I guess. And then, um, and then 79, I think too. And they started building an offset car by then. Obviously Jimmy had come out with the offset front engine eight ball. Um, the car that, that re revolutionized the class the first time and actually had the rear engine car in 79, and there were a number of other offset cars. The Salve team was 
had planned to build a car. It didn't debut until 1980. Now, the in the meantime, um, Bobby Stelter kind of had a his own sort of history. So he ran for Buckner until the end of 75. He and his brother bought the Miles Engineering Car 93, and he ran that as the 99 for 76. Um, I'm not sure what... I'm trying to think if Stelter ran much at all in 77. I don't know as he did. Um, and then ended up... I think he might have gotten in the 04 a time or two when Cheney couldn't be there. But um, then in 78... He ended up driving for Jack Tobin in the 21 with that, which they still had the, I always called it the cheese wedge, the wedge, you know, it it was just that, that sort of wedge shaped, um, you know, I always thought it was kind of a narrow, you know, it was kind of a, (laughs) I don't mean this in a bad way, but just kind of a dorky looking car. I always thought, but it was fast car ran really good. Um, and so they, um, so Stelter drove that, did really well with it in 78. And so we get to 79 and Stelter, I think was still in it. And, and I think the, so what was going to happen was the Tobin crew was going to build an offset car or buy one, I guess it was a show car, um, for Bobby to drive and the Salve crew was going to build a car, an offset car, for Cheney to drive. Well, somehow it came around that Cheney left the team or whatever, and it changed around to where Bobby Stelter ended up out of the Tobin car and into the new Solve car in 1980. And um, Jamie Moore actually was the one that got the benefit of that because he got to be the first driver of the new Tobin offset car. And, um, boy, those two... That that team was incredible, but so Bobby came back to Solve in 1980 to be their driver, and won a feature and won a bunch of stuff on the Isma circuit. They had they had a, a giant wing. I think Kevin Reap built them a wing. It was you know way bigger than anything else, um, and there was a lot of controversy about it. I think. Um, but then everybody just said, "Ah, oh, screw it. We'll build bigger wings. <laughs> but that, that thing was huge. And, uh, so he was really good on the, uh, on the, out, in the out of town shows with the wing, but, um, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad at a swiggo. It just wasn't quite as good. And so, but I think he did win a race, maybe two. And then, um, I think he was gone after 1980. And again, I don't really know why I'd love to know. I'd love to know. I, I I've been trying to get Jim Delucia on the show and, and, you know, sometimes people are just shy and don't really want to do. And I, and that's fine. Totally understand that. Um, hopefully maybe someday, cause I'd love to, to fill in some gaps here about some of these transitions between drivers, but um, I think in 81, Larry Record was the driver of the 04. And then Larry, I think maybe he only lasted a year. And I, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I know that this is where, again, for whatever reason, when I start to get into the 80s, I start losing details. So I think at some point after Record drove in 81, 
I think he only drove it a year. Maybe it was two, but I think it was only a year. And then at some point, that car went away. Um, and, uh, and I don't remember where it went, but there became a new 04 a little later that looked similar. Um, and that car was driven, I believe, by Steve McKnight, Dave's younger brother, I think was the driver of it. And I do believe there were two iterations of 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 Salve cars, two two different cars. That car that he started with, um, and then there was a car that I want to say was was became the number ninety six. And I don't remember if that if he bought that from the Salve team or if they changed their number at the end. I I don't like I don't remember all the details there, but I think there were two cars, and I think Steve was their last driver. I think after that, I think um, Jim and John and, and the team got out of got out of car ownership. Um, and I think Steve, maybe Steve did buy it. And that's why it number changed. I don't know. But I, I, I swear I remember being 96. And um, I'm almost positive that there was a guy named Dave or Dan Mazzoni and ended up with one of the cars, I think. I, I think it was an old Salve car. I don't remember. Um, but he was Oh four, I think. <laughs> and, um, and then, um, I think Oh four was the first number that Tim proud had too, when he started driving. But I, I don't think trying to remember, I want to say as limited was his, it was limited supers at the time, not SBS. Um, I want to say as limited was 04 and I don't remember if the super was ever 04 or if it changed from 04 to 22 and Mike Bond drove it. Um, I, I don't quite remember how all that worked, but I do think Tim proud. I think I have to sneak him in because I think Timmy had 04 at least in the, um, in the, in the, in the small block. And I'm probably going to get destroyed here because I feel like there's at least one or two that I'm missing. Um, and I'm trying to think of maybe other guest appearances in an O in, in the O four car or in a Salve car that maybe were kind of one-offs. Salve didn't have too many of those. Um, I think I remember there was a night when Johnny Spencer got into, there was a period where when Conium was driving for them and I'm going to guess this would have been in 75, but I'm not sure it could have been, 74 because i can't remember when they debuted the newer 04 car um that they had the last one conium drove that winks and Cheney also drove and tricler and bellinger that that they they ran through 79 but i i i think um um let's see uh johnny spencer drove the older car the one that kenny bartholomew had driven that mike rizzo eventually bought I think Johnny drove that one night as the zero. It was one of those, they ran both cars. I think maybe something happened to the 07 and, or maybe, you know, the 07 one there or whatever. Pretty sure I remember Johnny um, driving that car one night as the, the zero. Um, 
And I, I don't recall any other. Now, 79, I think, I do think I remember Cheney starting the year, but maybe he got out of the car again before the, he had to have gotten out of it at some point during the year. And I think that's when, I think Stelter and Tobin split and Stelter got back in it, I think. Um, got in that car and then stayed with him for 80. I think that's how it worked because I know Jim Cheney ended up in the Joya backup car for the Classic and finished fifth, fourth or fifth, fifth, I think. And and I think that was the last top five Jim had in the Classic. Um, He did a good job in that car. That, That car had a relatively short shelf life in terms of at least when Joya had it. He debuted it in 75, won immediately that year with it. Um, one more in 76, nearly won the championship. And then of course, um, as some of the guys went to the offset cars, it kind of, you know, but Steve still drove the heck out of it. And, um, it had, you know, its own series of, uh, Kevin Lyons drove it one night and, um, Cheney drove it. And then of course, Donnie Joya and Joe Gosick got their start in that car, the Joya Chevy before, um, it got sold, and that's one of the two cars that Larry Trinka has now is that car. Steve won the 76 Classic with it. Uh, seven, yeah, 76 Classic with it. And so, but the 04 car, I think, um, geez, I don't know. Maybe maybe it went through like 83, 84, maybe. That, I don't think it was... I don't think they finished the 80s with it. Uh, maybe it was later than that. Maybe Steve drove. Maybe the one Steve drove was later. There might have been a period where they didn't run or, or maybe didn't have a car or whatever. Um, but the again, um, Mazzoni and um, and Tim Proud, I know were 04. At least Tim was in the in the small blocks. I can't remember if his first super was 04, if it was the green 22 that I most remember. But um I don't know what I'm trying to think since again, you know, man. Uh, Oh yeah. There was, wait a minute. There was, uh, uh, gosh, Mike France owned who drove. I think did Mike was Mike's car. Oh, four Larry Morosky. Did Larry drive? Oh, four maybe in the supers. That might've been the last. Oh, four that I remember. I'm almost positive that there was an Oh, four and I, I want to say Larry was involved with it. I can't remember, and I'm pretty sure Mike France was too. And I don't know whatever happened to, to, to that car that they had. Um, again, that's where I start to, to lose track because it was as it as it gets toward the um, as it gets toward the mid '90s into you know mid 2000s. I was not. Um, I had moved out of the area, so. You know, I was going most of the time in the 90s still, but it just I wasn't as involved in it. And then um, once I moved out of out of state in what was it? Oh, one, oh, two. Um, I uh, and I announced it Shemung, which I think was where we did. Did we run on? trying to remember if Shemung always ran on Saturdays because I know in 01 I announced there and then in 02 I managed it um worked full time for Bob there I can't remember <clears throat> pardon me I can't remember if we were I think we were both Saturday night tracks us in in Tioga 
which would have put us against the swiggle, but I can't remember. We might have run in Fridays. But anyway, um, so I just start losing a lot of the details. But I think there's your, your list. It's a good one to start with anyways. But the Salve cars were just some of the most well-kept, beautiful, pretty cars. And there was um, the, the one that Conium and Chini, that car in the mid-'70s there always had a tiger on it. Tony, I don't know if it was Tony the Tiger or just the Tiger, but I think it always, I remember a little Tiger on that car. And, but just that beautiful red color. And, you know, they were just always pristine cars. Jim, Jim uh, DeLucia and John Pilata and the entire team always um, prepared beautiful, very competitive cars. And that, again, those cars, that was, I would say, that team is one of the iconic teams of that period that really, again, that, that car was a contender to win whenever it hit the racetrack, no matter who was in it. And, um, you know, I, I know that Conium won some races. Jim Cheney won some races. Um, I don't think Jimmy Winks was in the car long enough to win. Um, I don't know that Kenny Bartholomew ever won for them. I know that Bobby Stelter did um, in in two different cars. Um, and then even when Larry record was driving and I remember McKnight being pretty competitive too, but of course, you know, a lot had changed by the time that, that, um, you know, that he, he was driving for them, but I always thought Steve was, um, you know, Dave obviously has continued to race and, and Dave McKnight has had junior has had a legendary career and, and, um, was always a charger. I thought Steve was as good as Dave. Um, I felt like he was, uh, would have been again, maybe he didn't always have necessarily the opportunity or whatever, but I thought Steve was a great racer whose career never really developed the way that I thought it might. So, um, there's your, there it is. There's your look at uh, the number Oh four. I'm sure there were probably, uh, maybe there was some that, um, or some drivers that you can think of. Uh, I don't know about out of town. Again, I, you know, you, you get like a, a car that changes the number or whatever, but I don't, I just don't recall that at least in the period I was really super active there. Um, so hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, thank you to the Salve automotive crew, because like I said, just one of the iconic teams of that period. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these these car owners that we had back in the 70s and the even 80s, whatever, the car owners, and even today, I mean, you know, the amount of money, it's not all John Nicotra's money, for example, but John certainly spends a lot. And the same with, um, you know, the, the Locke family. I mean, my gosh, you know, to travel from New England to Oswego every week with two cars now. For Chase and Ryan, I was really happy to see chase uh or ryan finally finish a feature the other day he just needed that you know it's like okay good we got one you know he's got to get the track time and you can't get track time when you know you're always having bad luck and ending up, ending up on the hook so i know ryan can run for wins he's just got to have the time to 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 build his his uh programming and skill set for it so 
hopefully his season goes swimmingly well the rest of the year. So congratulations, Ryan. Glad to see you finally get through that. And uh, again, uh, to all of the people that own race cars in, of any type, but especially a super modified in this era. Um, and, you know, and even back then, um, they're the unsung heroes because they they spend all the money while the drivers drive kind of thing. So um, that's it, folks, for this edition. Episode 105 will be next week. We'll be talking about all of the misters uh, <laughs> that are going to get crowned this weekend. Big race at the Oswego Speedway. Hope you all are safe and enjoy it. Have a great week, and we'll be back um, on the inside groove next week. Thanks to our sponsors, Rich Worth and JNS Paving, Jeff West, and um, IPC Indy, IndyPerformanceComposites.com, who, by the way, that car will not be at Oswego on Saturday. They're having problems getting the motor together, so he does plan to run one race at least before the Classics. So we will see the one car at Bobby Santos. Unfortunately, it just won't be this weekend, and that kind of sucks. But, um, you know, supply chain and Joe Biden's America. So here we go. So, uh, and of course, thanks to um, Sean Cathcart and uh, the folks at Skip's Fish Fry and LaGroff's Pub as well. With that, my name is Tom Baker. Thank you so much for listening to the show. SteeringWheelNation.com for racing stories all throughout the week and all of our shows that we do um, and some big things afoot here. New magazine debuting in September and uh, you're going to be able to subscribe starting uh, this week. So, um, it's going to be fun. And yes, there will be super modified coverage in the magazine. Obviously, um, <laughs> I would never let that not happen. So, um, we hope you'll subscribe to it, digital and print, and we're going to do some cool things with the digital edition as we get going. So that's coming up. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe. God bless. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.